Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, bro, it's Russo'sBrand.com. Get the real shoot for the most controversial personality in pro wrestling, Vince Russo. Stevie Richards Fitness. Hey, don't you think it's time for a band new you? Head over to StevieRichardsFitness.com and join the SRF resistance today. ProWrestlingTees.com. Get the coolest merchandise from your favorite independent pro wrestling talent worldwide. Head over to ProWrestlingTees.com and support indie wrestling today. It is Tuesday, April 28th, and you know what that means. It's all about them tacos and the hot tag on this episode of the WrestleCast. Go inside the unique mind of war wrestling owner and promoter Big Tom Williams. HMG ace reporter Frito scoops William Adelcia is back to talk WWE financials. And it's all about marketing to the millennials. It was the one thing I wasn't going to do for myself. And now I've got a couple under my back. What can you do to me? Nothing was planned, but it came together beautifully. And now it's too late for warning. Should have listened to Boeing 808. You should have been throwing your late night tape. We found what we need regardless of if we wanted. I clicked with them squares in the corner and we maximized the moment. Captains of our own ship that won't capsize. Temple of ideas that stand in my capsize. Makes me unbecoming more and more with a rap like the king. A geek, a self-aware, self-righteous black guy. Since not. Oh, yeah, coming out of that intro track, my boy Juan Cosby and his crew over at Grasshopper Juice Records. Love those guys. Love the uh, the music that they have lent to us here at the Hot Tag WrestleCast. I am the great American entrepreneur, marketer, creator, pro wrestling commentator, ring announcer, and all-around philosopher, the art of the beat of the V, Richard Bronson Vickery. Back again and riding alongside my side, my right hand man at Gorilla, Big Joe Morn. How you doing, Sid? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, brother. And um, yeah, another week has come and gone around here. And um, how has uh, another day been in isolation? Well, I, get, I mean, uh, I'm not in, in isolation, but I mean, you're uh, been uh, pretty busy still, kind of going, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I think, you know, since this lockdown's again, Big Joe, I, I know you're still going. You know, out and about, you have to report to work every day. Uh, but, you know, even before this, I, I kind of worked at home. But I think now that it's mandatory to stay at home, I am busier than ever. I have embraced yep. the situation here, making sure that I am pushing myself to my fullest extent, that when things do turn around, I'm going to be at the forefront, leading the way. But uh, I've kind of slacked off here last couple of days, took a step back. And my life has kind of been this past weekend was consumed by the NFL draft. Uh, I know you're a bit. Of, a, of an NFL fan. Mm -hmm. Joe, have you been paying attention to this thing at all? Um, this is all kind of happening. Uh, like I said, you mentioned, you know, I, I go out and work a day job. Well, in my case, kind of a night job. So I'm usually sleeping during the day. So I only kind of hear rumblings and postings about this. But I, I do know that, uh, I know this isn't technically a professional wrestling discussion, but I do know that uh, Joe Burrow has gone to the Cincinnati Bengals, correct? Yes, Joe Burrow, number one overall. Feel so bad for him. Uh, the city, the city, the fan base here in Cincinnati has been elated, but there are the holdouts like myself, the naysayers. I, I am getting completely dumped on around this entire situation, uh, but I'm calling it out for what it is. This is nothing against Joe Burrow. I want the absolute best for Joe Burrow. And it, when you wish that upon someone, the last thing that you would wish 
is for them to be a Cincinnati Bengal, yeah. a laughing stock of all uh, <laughs> professional franchises. But, but as you said, this isn't really professional wrestling, but that's what we do. We, we look out to the real world. We tie everything together. So I get my marketing mind kind of kind of going here. And when I tune into the draft over the past, you know, over the weekend, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, just completely hooked. But I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm looking for the rights and the wrongs and the kudos and the woulds for how this pertains to WWE. Now, out of the gate, I want to kudos to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came out with a heartfelt message. They, they spoke directly to their audience. They put over uh, all the players, but especially the young players, they put over the individual franchises that people have such a tremendous connection with. But ultimately, this was about the fan base. This is about everybody wanting to be there and deliver for them the perfect message. Yes, absolutely. Completely the opposite. Same same direction, same tone, but a completely opposite message, bottom line dollar from WWE, who was more about, look at us, the McMahons, the, the corporate side, the, the giants that we are. We are doing this for everyone. No, it, it should have been about the talent that they, they know the need and that desire to be there for the fans. It should have been about them. And ultimately it should have been about feeding that, that desire, that need for escape for the audience. But no, again, a completely miss for WWE. And even like, and there were, I'm not, I don't want to get into the task, the technical aspects of the draft because they had their glitches. You're going to have something like this, sure. but I'm talking about the overall, the point to the situation. I love they, they got each team had fans included. You had the big screens where they were able to stream in, from their different locations and you could see that excitement and hell you got the, the commissioner Gordell, you know, he's embracing that he's getting booed during selections. They're <laughs> trying to bring all of those elements about yeah. to make this a, a little bit of fun in uh, studying this over the course of the weekend and, and then kind of seeing some things that you and I had participated in different threads on social media. It really brought the question, you know, marketing inside of pro wrestling and more specifically, those key demographics mm-hmm. and marketing to millennials in 2020. And that's something we, that we have both decided on. We, to kick off the show here today, we really want to sink our teeth into Joe. Yeah. But you had mentioned where, where WWE seems to kind of preach, you know, we're all about uh, the fans and about uh, pleasing the fans. But yet then when you hear them kind of talk and kind of go further, it's more about kind of inflating and boosting their own ego. You know, they, 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 they claim to be all about the fans, but it's like, you know, it's like, we're the McMahons. We're all powerful. We know what the right thing to do is. And, but then it's just not quite reflected in other th- aspects of it. Yeah, absolutely. And as we're going to, we're going to jump in here into, some real numbers, and we're really going to peel back those layers on this marketing. Joe, I hope you're ready because I've done my research. Yes. I've got the proof in the pudding right here. So I hope you brought your A game. Yeah, Rick, um, you, typically you've, well, we're only three episodes in, into this here, but uh, typically you get the, the kind of the cool interviews that have been uh, spectacular. I went out and, and, and lined up uh, an interview with somebody who has been kind of uh, hassling me here and he wanted to be on here. We're going to see what kind of happens. I, I don't know what this is going to kind of be. So let's just get right into this. Big Joe of the Hot Tag WrestleCast here. And as proven by the date of birth on my driver's license, I fall outside that millennials demographic. So I thought in preparation for episode three conversation involving pro wrestling and marketing to millennials, I would go inside the belly of the beast for a bit of firsthand perspective. 
Today, I am visiting the Millennials Pro Wrestling Academy. Right now, I am with, well, sir, please introduce yourself. Whoa, 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 whoa. You wait, wait a second. Stop the sand key. Big Joe, is it? Now, you can take your sirs and you can stuff them in an eco-friendly, highly biodegradable sack. Around here, we don't assume identity. Now, this is the MPWA. That stands for Millennial Pro Wrestling Academy. Now, to your question, the social verse, they'll recognize me as the marvelous Millennial Mark. But around these parts, it's just Coach Mark. <laughs> okay, Coach Mark, can you give myself and the listeners a bit of an introduction to what pro wrestling hopefuls can expect when they enroll at your academy? Well, it's very simple. You know, at the MPWA, we inspire. That's why when our superstars, yes, we're all superstars, when they walk through that front door, they're met by an inspirational photo of the GOAT, G-O-A-T. That's the greatest of all time, the GOAT, Simone Biles. Now, what Simone has given to the pro wrestling world, it's the greatest treasure ever given, my friend. Oh, wait. M many, including true historians, would suggest that Ric Flair is the GOAT. Who? Oh, oh, you talking about Charlotte's birth donor. Yeah, it's, it's nice to see him involved still. But, Joseph Moore, don't you talk to me about historians. Because here at the MPWA, and we focus on teaching the history of the business. I know my history. I've studied all the greats. Now, I'm one of the few, the select few, that have actually seen John Cena. I have a full appreciation for the technical prowess of the boss. Now, I was in the building with a tear in my eye the night the WWE made history by crowning the first ever Mixed Tag Tournament Champion. The long story short, now I was getting dick flipped before Joey Ryan made it cool. Now how is that for history? <laughs> uh, as we're taking uh, this tour of your facilities here, I can't help notice that I haven't seen a ring yet. Ring? You say ring? You talk about ring? Now listen, I'm talking about pro wrestling. Pro wrestling. Let me spell that out for you. S-P-O-R-T-S-E-N-T-E-R-tainment. Pro wrestling. Our academy has the finest tumbling mats, trampolines, and uneven bars you've ever seen. And for our advanced superstars, we've got a dance dance revolution council. You talk about cutting edge. That's cutting edge, Big Joe. It goes beyond that. Now, our, our superstars, they're constantly studying film. Now, from the novice level, it's hours and hours of WWE 2K videos. Now, for those that have been here a bit longer, it's a strict regimen, Mortal Kombat, and Street Fighter. And for those who are absolutely ready, it's knowing inside and out what Super Smash Brothers is all about. Now, you take all that, and you add on 47 mandatory tweets a day. Now you tell me that's not pro wrestling. Well, sir, excuse me, Coach Mark. You, you what, what is the biggest selling point 
you employ when attracting new superstars? Well, it's very simple. It's very simple. When you enroll here at the Millennial Pro Wrestling Academy, we 100% guarantee, that's 100% guarantee that every one of our superstars is going to main event WrestleMania. Wow. Um, how, how can you make such a bold and presumptuous promise? Well, we started a movement here, Joe. We're going DM to DM. And we're rallying the masses to sign our petition. Now, it's a movement that proclaims that everyone truly is a superstar in every match. No matter the country, the area, the city, the promotion, the event. All matches must be recognized as WrestleMania marquee main event spots. Pretty simple. WrestleMania main event, pro wrestling, that's for everyone. And that's a Nancy Pelosi S promise, Big Joe. And I'll tell you what, I about had it up here with you in this interview. And you go ahead, you drop and give me 20. Give me 20 tweets, Big Joe. That's what they call working on the fly, the pro wrestling business. Look at you, Big Joe, out hitting the streets. Did you get that approved through through the office? Um, sure. We'll say that we did. I, I'd say you know, just <laughs> first time listening through there. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta say, that Coach Mark. I bet you when you, you you peel those layers back and you and you get down to the core of it, he's probably a really great guy. Oh, I'm sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, it was interesting to say the least, and to, to see a wrestling training facility with a ring that was uh, that was different. Well, I think you know to, to get that inside perspective there from what makes those millennials tick, what they're all about, and that's a very important question that all of these promotions, if it's WWE, AEW, New Japan, right on down the line to the mid majors to the mind pop local indies, when it comes to these key demographics and the millennial group. And just really just knowing your fan base and being able to reach out to them is something of the utmost importance, especially going forward, that everybody's going to have to aggressively approach. And so as we open up the conversation to get the ball rolling on this thing, there's just a few key elements that I'd like people to start thinking about. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, one of those is let's really look at this thing is who is today's professional wrestling audience? Now, I know we regularly hear this when we talk about, you know, if it's the back and forth banter about ratings mm -hmm. uh, or you know, live event attendance, what people else they're committed to. We look at these key demographics. I think, Joe, I know that you know this. What is the perceived key demographic? The one above all other demographics, the holy grail, the top of the mountain, the King Kong. It is. That's us. That's the hardcore fan base that have been around for years. No, uh, the age groups. Oh, the age the group viewership. Yeah, well, well, we're talking the millennials, right? That's who who WWE is targeting. You go into this, you're looking at the coveted 18 to 34, yep. or in that wider range, if you go to the 18 to 49. Now that has been the way that it has been for the longest time, and now it is set in everybody's mind. Those are your your focal points. Mm -hmm. I, in a sense, as I, I regularly do this day in, day out, if it's my own research, my own actual experience in the field, learning opportunities that I have presented to me, it's been something inside that I have a trend that 
I've been wanting to talk about, to bring to the forefront here. I think we need to erase those perceptions and kind of rebuild this grid. Because when we talk about those demographics, 18 to 34, 18 to 49, those were established during the boomer years, Mm -hmm. during the baby boomers, as they were coming up. Now that group has, they have moved on. I don't want to say necessarily evolved, but you know, they have migrated north of those parameters. And we have another group as you're talking about those millennials coming in to this situation. So now, now, because it's always been defined this way, this group is the new focal point. I don't think that necessarily needs to be the case because why are those groups always so important? Because they're believed to have the ones with the money Mm -hmm. who are going to spend inside of your product. I'm not trying to dismiss the millennials. I just don't think they need to be as you know, put up as an emphasis placed on them or placed on that pedestal. As we look at somebody like the WWE and you regularly look at their ratings and we can talk about judging them against themselves. Raw is down. We're going to break into some numbers later on in the show when we have William Alcee on. Yeah. Uh, but Raw is down. Absolutely. Smackdown is, is down. But when we break down those numbers, who is still tuning in? And, you know, with Raw, they're still pulling the most numbers. They're blowing everyone out of the water. They're still up there around that 1.5 mil. Right. But who is that audience? And it is those individuals that are into their 50s. Yeah. They're the ones still with professional wrestling. They're the ones still spending that money. Right. They need to remain a focal point for someone like WWE. See, uh, how I kind of perceive this, uh, just being you know, an observer, being a fan, and being a podcaster, is I, I think I've kind of broken it up into, a, I guess, probably, what, about three or four different groups. You know, we have our, our casual fans. You know, we have our hardcore fans. Not, not I mean hardcore, I mean, like, dedicated fans for, for a number of years, like like myself. You know, we have our non-fans who could occasionally kind of tune in. You know, and then we have our live attendance fans, which is kind of a conglomerate of all these people kind of all grouped together. And absolutely. And again, as you know, you had mentioned earlier here in the conversation, when I'm talking about that most sought of, uh, you know, after fan, you had mentioned the hardcore ones. I think that's you living inside the bubble. You, you want to feel yeah. that importance. Sure. And, but even stepping outside of the industry of professional wrestling, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, if we're looking at, you know, I regularly compare as, you know, what I'm most familiar with is inside of the restaurant business. And this can translate to any other thing. This could be movies. This this could be comics. Whatever you know, our listeners are interested in. in. In many ways, you've already got the lockdown on that hardcore. Mm-hmm. They're going to remain there. That's your bread and butter. I mean, you don't want to purposely alienate them, but you don't go to the extent where you have to over cater to their needs. You do want to broaden your horizons. You do want to open those doors and try to invite in more of the casual, and then yeah. try and then in doing so. You get them to transition from that casual every now and then to the classification of that that diehard individual, that consumer that's going to support your cause. Yeah, it, it, it feels, and again, again, this is from a perspective of somebody you know who isn't a huge insider. I don't have all the marketing knowledge and genius that you have, Rick, but uh, it feels like you just mentioned that it, it just it feels like we're caring more to the millennial group, and that we have alienated fans and people like myself. Well, and I think in a sense here, and this is a bigger issue across the sport, as I said, I don't, you know, I don't want to dismiss the millennial group. I mean, they are going to be coming up here. Uh, But to me to say that one is ultimately more important than another, you're going to short another side of this. And when people feel neglected with so many options 
for their dollar available here in 2020 and the way that we connect and you can have anything at the click of a button, uh, you have to be very careful not to kind of muddy those waters, Uh, especially in terms of when you kind of, now you're focused solely on what it has always been just, you know, that, that number range without taking any of those other factors into consideration. Uh, I mean, hell, we're looking at now here, when you really go into the meat of the matter, the 18 to 34, in this day and age, I mean, they're extended through college longer now. And as they're coming out, we're seeing lower average incomes, which is going to mean lower and less disposable income to be spending on such products here, which is so important. If it be live events or streaming services or even site itself, uh, you know, your cable providers, merchandise, whatever the case might be. Now, your individuals that grade up where you do have that overlapping area, you know, like us people late 30s, 40s heading towards that 50, that gives you some leeway, but you still have those individuals now in their 50s that are still fans of professional wrestling and they still want to spend money on this thing. Uh, and, and ultimately, it seems that in turn, it's their kids that are the ones still as interested as well. So now you're getting that family dollar with it as opposed to these millennials who are just starting to have younger kids who are not quite involved or exposed to professional wrestling yet. So that you have to focus in and remain and keep attention and retain that dollar right there to sustain you until we can continue to hook these millennials and hopefully that they'll buy into the concept of professional wrestling. Uh, When it does come to millennials, one of the biggest concerns when it comes with a company with WWE is do they fully understand who they are attracting? And it's kind of, you know, one of the key factors there, we look to who's at the top of the mountain there. Yep. And it's a 70 year old man who kind of gets <laughs> off from puns from the eighties and the nineties. Yeah. This is a guy who, who, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking back to an episode of dark side of the, of the ring here. When draws came in, uh, he found out that, that he knew how to, to, throw up on on command on cue and vince is like that's good shit brother let's do that you know it's 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 hilarious when you find out the stuff that kind of gets him going so but uh you know for 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 myself you know you'd mentioned uh, that's a tricky part with this one company can they cater to all these different demographics and groups at the same time um because i think that's been a real issue why people like myself have migrated specifically over to new japan pro wrestling and Ali wrestling because I feel like they kind of hit the mark, so to speak, more with myself. Well, and again, you know, and it's you do run into a situation where you don't want to overexpose or run yourself too thin, but there is certainly a way. And we're seeing other major corporations out there that are implement these strategies and yep. very successfully, I might add. And that is intertwining all of your platforms. Uh, I think one that yep. most notable that people would probably recognize that does a tremendous job with this is the efforts with inside the the NBA. Yes, absolutely. Uh, they, they, they really realize yep. that television, uh, they're suffering here. And league-wide, they feel it. They don't deny it. Uh, they're, they're aggressively are trying to tackle this, you know, this problem that they're facing. Because with ratings declining, you're taking a serious financial cut because you're losing the major advertising dollars. Now, you can, you know, you can double, triple, uh, you can 10 times your social media interaction, but we're talking mm-hmm. pennies on the dollar, just mere fractions yeah. of what you're pulling through with your ad revenue with television. Uh, they realize this though. So what they're trying to do is integrate all of these platforms. When you're connected in one way, you feel inclined. You feel like it's a must to be connected in other ways to try to draw you in. 
And inside of professional wrestling, and mainly right now, we'll, we'll jump to AEW because I want to sing some praises there with this company. Yeah. Uh, but with WWE, I mean, you're you're the king. You're the king call. And they regularly, how many times on a show, they tell us, well, we had more social interaction than the NBA, NFL, NHL, everybody. Number one trending. They have to, yeah. Betty's bake sale combined. We smoked them all. Yeah. But we're not really seeing any of that play into the program. You know what? what? You know what I think it is, Red, because we're talking about this millennial group, and I notice that and I see this all the time when you see, you know, when I'm riding around the bus, when I'm out in public, and you see people, you know, on their phones, on their tablets, or if they have a laptop, and they're watching YouTube, they're watching uh, these videos and stuff on Facebook. They're very the, the, the content tends to be very short and very kind of quick hit, and I think that that's still a kind of great issue that I kind of maybe harp on a little too much is that these people are are so ingrained now to consume their content in short little snippets, and then. Is it really that they're doing this stuff on Facebook? WWE's doing this stuff on Facebook, Twitter. Is that really hooking them in to go watch the greater product? And you can make the the argument that it isn't. Now, it, we had talked about this going back to episode one when we had Ryan K. Bowman of the Gorilla Position on. And you guys had both spoke to this. I mean, you guys yeah. both are that Mayberry mentality. Yeah. You like to kick back on the porch. You like everything closed on Sundays, sipping <laughs> your lemonade, taking it nice and easy and slow. Absolutely. That's fine, but we got to evolve with the times. And yes. when we're looking at how we're strategically, you know, advertising and pulling in these millennials, we have to look at, at how the generations have evolved. They're multitaskers. They like, and it's not that you know that they're done with something and moved on. They're retaining that information. They're still registering all that. It's mm -hmm. still in the gears. It's still going on, but they're ready for more. Yeah. So you got to start piling those things up for them to keep them entertained, to keep them enticed. And that is something for, you know, from a WWE perspective thing. And now that we see in their segment booking where, okay, this is, let's get all this business done in 15 minutes. And yeah. then we'll worry about, we'll follow up maybe next week or a week or two. Yeah. Now we got to move on to this women's set tag segment. Now we're going to move on to the 24 seven segment. We, we don't have anything there where we're layering these different programs and these, these intriguing, hopefully intriguing storylines throughout the episode or even if you do have a few focal points or you want to jump some segments, you keep people, you know, how are they connected? Yeah. Even as you and I are watching, you know, let's, you know, WrestleMania, we're not sitting and focused on one screen and we're taking in everything that's happening. We've got our devices out. We're yeah. on the laptop. We're, we're taking notes to talk about it for shows. Yep. We're on our phones. We're over on Facebook and the Hameen Media Discussion Group, seeing what everybody's got going on. We're juggling everything that's happening here. So in a programming sense, if you can bring that together, I mean, we've, we've got some things that they can utilize. Now, if they're effectively doing it, it's a different conversation, but it is there. I mean, we should be bringing up what's happening on social media, uh, what's happening on Instagram, or what you can get on the YouTube, bring all these things together. You've got people, and in that point, they're still focused in, that millennial group is still focused in on your target, your core objective, but they're taking it from so many different angles here. Yeah. And that's one of the keys when you are marketing to this millennial audience is that you have to be very sociable and you have to be very yeah. engaging across all the different platforms yeah. and to their credit, uh, especially last week on AEW dynamite, they employed these strategies. Wonderful. Wonderfully. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to the point you have MJF. I mean, that was his running story throughout the show was that there was potentially an injury and he launched that entire thing by working some fans being a total smart ass and reply <laughs> Genius, to some yeah. tweets about, you know, him being, Oh, you're lazy. Where are you? You know, you've only worked five matches all year. 
and you know they're trying to trigger a reaction from mjf to come back yeah. you know with that snobbish attitude and he's like well there's believe me there's nothing more than during this time of dismay that i would love to be there for you people and then what do we get the program we get the payoff yeah i got a i got a hangnail <laughs> you know, it all comes full circle for him and they were using that throughout the show they did that a number of times yep. you know throughout dynamite last week which i thought was magnificent and it added another layer to the empty arena wrestling era and it works so great for him because i mean he maintains that character and that persona regardless of whether you know he's behind the curtain or he's out in the stage performing and that that's another reason why that works you know you had mentioned you know me kind of being, you know, I'm the old man sitting on the porch, you know, telling the kids to get off my lawn when it comes to this kind of stuff. But I mean, uh, and the, the uh, old habits kind of die hard. But just like I feel like, you know, especially when I watch the the weekly WWE program, it, it feels Rick, it feels all kind of chopped up. It's not all flowing together, and uh, th- th- that's kind of another way that they lose me is that you know when I watch all these other shows, like it feels like it's okay. We have a start and then we flow towards finishing where now just, it feels like it's all chopped up into two segments. And that's not how I like to consume my content. I like to, to watch something as a whole and digest it as opposed to breaking it all up. Yeah. And it's, and it's when you bring in, and I think you can, you can stick to that, you know, that style, which is going to hold someone like yourself that is, you know, moving towards that, the outer, uh, what do we call it? The outer realm yes. demographic. Yeah. Uh, but it, but by employing the strategies of then implementing, okay, you can take all of this content from these different platforms. That's how that, that you that you get that millennial, that younger <laughs> to invest and stay tuned with you. Yeah. You know, going back to we were just kind of briefly mentioning the NFL draft. One of the things I absolutely loved about this thing, uh, both Friday, uh, Thursday and Friday, is is your hot rounds there. I mean, I've got, as we're talking about, I've got the television on, I've got the laptop, I've got the phone. I'm watching on three different, <laughs> three different sources. I've got ESPN, I've got ABC, and then I'm going around YouTube looking for their live feeds here. They're all giving me something different, different perspectives. Yeah. I didn't feign interest at any point during this thing. Uh, one of the other big things, and I think this works for, for any key demographic, and I think WWE gets away from this thing, is you don't sell a product you sell a cause. Hmm. Now, like even and so when you see WWE, you know, if and they run this into the ground and they don't try to mask it at all. It's very just in your face obnoxious <laughs> is the, if they're with Susan, Susan G. Komen. Hmm. I mean, it comes off so corporate shilling. It really does. You can see through all of this yeah. and you don't feel any emotion or attachment to it. No. A lot of the reasons that the evolution the women's evolution fell short because it was just so cookie cutter. Here comes Stephanie. Here comes Lady Balls. This is all centered around her. Yeah. To their credit, on the other side of this thing, AEW is so masterful in these strategies where they have they have built this rallying cry. It is us. It is a promotion by the boys for the forgotten and neglected fans. We're going to take on this corporate machine together. And yeah. their, their audience has absolutely bought into this thing 100%. They are going to ride or die through thick and thin. Some of my concerns, though, with AEW here is that they overplay that hand too much. And it goes back to, you know, what you're talking about, about feeling alienated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but... 
and I know you, you do have some reserves here because, you know, as I bring up, when AEW gets away from the cosplay and the video game <laughs> aspect, yeah. they're putting out a tremendous product. Uh, but you, you know, as we we're talking for prep for the show, you yes. throw back to me, hey, man, that's a huge market. You're pulling in millions that are enthusiastic and involved it will get behind you in video games oh yeah absolutely i mean uh, there's a lot of uh, video game players and fans there a lot of them are wrestling fans you know and, and i had mentioned like you said in, in preparing uh, we were always kind of talking about wrestling as we always are you know going back to fighter fest i mean that they, they knew that their audience and they cater to it you know we had Ken and the unbucks coming out in the street fighter attire you know we had mjf absolutely <laughs> being MJF and burying that video game audience there. I mean, that, 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 that I look back at that, that was still fantastic. And I, I, I like that when they, they pull it off, but again, like you had mentioned, you know, we can't overdo it as well. You know, you gotta, you know, know your audience. And at the same time, you know, if you're in front of a, a bunch of people that aren't video game fans, you don't want to shove it down their throats. So just, you, you have to know who you're dealing with. Well, in, in a sense like that, when you go back to Firefest, and, and that is a very certain crowd, a target demographic that they are playing to. Yep. I mean, that is a demographic with inside the demographic. So how they should have really approached that is put this spin onto this thing. Instead of trying to go for that major overexposure return, they alienated some people. They're like, okay, this isn't, this isn't yeah. the fundamentals, traditional professional wrestling. This is something that we're, that's absurdly outside the box here. <laughs> In AEW's mindset at that point, it was, we're so proud of this core. We're so proud of us. We're going to show the world. What they should have done is flip the, flip the coin on that thing and sold this as, this is us. This is an exclusive for the people that really get us. Yeah. And instead of broadcasting that to the masses, you keep it very, you know, very secluded and private to those individuals so it feels specialized. And it doesn't get the wide exposure and ridicule that it did. So you can cater to that inner inner circle no pun intended <laughs> yeah. you know without kind of turning off those around you and i think but AEW, they know this i mean they know that there is that there is that young hungry group and they feel so neglected just out in society that they, you know maybe they don't have a voice and that is why you you see such divide right now because you know they they feel like they need an outlet that they're being left behind they, mm -hmm. they want to have influence and change and you have a, a a platform, a genre, you have AEW that's, that's there to embrace that. Yeah, absolutely. And then going all the way back to, to all in, which of course you, yourself and uh, Mr. Michael Jargo was there to be in person. And, you know, even after the show kind of went off the air, you know, they, they really uh, hooked in, especially the people that were there live in attendance, you know, that, that this is, you know, this is a revolution. This is something different. This is what everybody has been kind of clamoring for. And I, I really, honestly, I think that they're perfectly fine content to be that Pepsi to the Coke. In professional uh, wrestling. I, I really think they're, they're looking to make that move. And it, if they can wait out the early storm, yep. you'll get through those troubled waters and then you can come full circle. The, the biggest concern again is when you are overly focused and dependent on that core group, you're not allowing yourself to grow here a little bit. That's a fair point. So what you really have to do. And I mean, when you're talking to these, I mean, you have to be again, relevant and, and engaging across all these different outlets that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, these audiences want to be heard. 
They, they want you to listen to them. They, they want to feel value. I mean, am I really talking about something that is specific to a group? I mean, it's just about how you employ these strategies. I mean, that's everybody, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, people, that's kind of what social media is called based on. Everybody wants to have a voice and wants to have their voice heard by somebody. Well, essentially, again, this is the world that we're living in. You know, two, yeah. two schmucks, one from Canada, one from Ohio are sitting here. <laughs> you know, just giving our vent and our viewpoints here and sharing those with the world. And we have that everywhere. Absolutely. Uh, so it is up to these companies. They have to fully embrace this. But to get that sound understanding for this thing. Yeah. Well, uh, to get uh, a very unique kind of perspective on things, Rick, uh, you have something kind of special lined up for this week, don't you? Uh, absolutely. I uh, had an opportunity to sit down with, you know, one of the brightest individuals that I personally know. It's been so influ influential in so many of the tremendous stars, promotions running out of here, the hotbed of pro wrestling in the OHIO. You're not going to want to miss this interview on the other side. But first, let's hear it from uh, Ben Hameen. He's putting over the war on morons. Hear my words, infidels. I've greenlit my latest cell, and it's the War on Morons podcast. That's right, the world's full of morons, but I've sent Jay and Anissa to declare war on them. From the stupid criminals to those Florida man stories you love, and the other idiots of Hollywood and D.C., these new Hameen soldiers speak the truth, the stupidity in a fun and comical manner. Each week, these two will be bringing on friends and all these crazy characters to give you the punk rock comedy news show you didn't even know that you needed. But you have it now that you're under quarantine. You will listen, infidels. And that's right, there's a bit of uncertainty every week from the live hotline so you never know who's going to call into the show. <laughs> so plant your flag in the sand. Grab your friends and suit up, because the War on Morons has commenced, infidels. Visit them now and subscribe at thewaronmorons.podbean.com. YOLO! <laughs> Joining us now in the Hot Tag WrestlerCast is an individual with such an infectious and upbeat personality and an extreme passion for pro wrestling. And when we're talking about the Mount Rushmore of indie pro wrestling in the OHIO, his grizzled mug would be right up there on the monument. And with two decades of promotion under his resume, and he is Mr. Thomas Big Time Williams to the Hot Tag, sir. How you doing, sir? Uh, absolutely tremendous. Thank you for taking time out of your busy day. The road warrior of war out on the road, taking care, uh, taking care of the family in this time of need. I, I have to tell you, big time, we do our research. We're very diligent about that when we're getting ready for an interview or anything that we're approaching here on the hot tag. I, I reached out to probably half a dozen of your colleagues and, and talents that you that have worked with you and to a T that the respect and admiration shown towards you was simply incredible uh, just speaks volumes to what you mean to this business uh personally speaking 
We were both recently involved in helping bring together a Battle on the Border event. Shout out to our good friend, Denim Blevins. Uh, while we're there, long before the doors are open to the public and all that, you know, we're there tirelessly slaving away. Uh, my schmuck ass is, is setting up the, the seating area. You come in and you start working with a very inexperienced ring crew and you begin showing them the ins and outs and giving them all these tips. The knowledge that was being shared, it just, it just blew me away. I got so lost and distracted from what I was doing just listening to you. I guess to start off here, what does it mean, you know, teaching and sharing the gift of pro wrestling? What's that mean to you? Well, I think it's taken me a long time. I mean, you know, like I said, I've been, uh, I was just actually thinking about this uh, on the way up here. Uh, in June, I'll be doing this for 22, uh, 23 years. Um, you, you know, so theoretically, I'm, I'm, in professional wrestling longer than the majority of that ring crew has been alive. And, you know, the biggest thing for me is, is uh, Al Snow told me one thing uh, many, many years ago. He said, uh, you know, if you keep to you, then the business is slowly going to die. And I, I hold that to my heart. You know what I mean? And above all that, quite honestly, was this isn't set up right you know, um, that's my big thing is, is, you know, that, that ring needed set up, you know, and, and, and you got to lead by example, you know, I mean, um, you know, they needed some guidance and I'm there early enough to, to help. So, you know, why not help? You know, I, I guess I'm the, I'm the not typical veteran, I guess you could say, you know, a lot of the veteran uh, wrestlers and promoters and that sort of thing. Uh, they, uh, you know, they say, they got this analogy that, you know, you've paid your dues. And, you know, once you reach a certain, I mean, a certain amount of years in professional wrestling, it's like, oh, you don't have to do it no more. And to me, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not that type of person. You know, I'm an in-your-face. Um, let's get it done. Let's make sure, you know, the ring is safe. Make sure the seats are good. You know, and that's just me. Um, I lead by example. You know, even when we do the war wrestling shows, you know, I'm the boss, quote-unquote, and I got a million and one things to do. But guess what? I still am part of the ring crew. I still load the ring, still set up the ring, I still do the guardrails, I still do all those sort of things or whatever <laughs> because guess what? Without the ring and the seating and the guardrails and all that, there is no show. So, uh, you know, that's the big thing with me. You, you had mentioned there, the name drop in there. You, you bring up Mr. Snow. You've been in this business 20-plus years. You know, I wanted to, you know, let, let's, let's dial up Mr. Peabody and hop in that way back machine, you know, to go – Back to those beginnings before before war, before you get into being a promoter. You know, I, I regularly talk about how Ohio is is that true hotbed for professional wrestling, and right there's such a rich history in the territory of Lima, Ohio. In uh, going back before you kind of took those reins, of course, that's in the hands of Al Snow, who now is the owner of OVW. What can you tell us about those early days and that involvement that you had? Well, I think, the, to be honest with you, you know, uh, when I first broke in, um, you know, training and all that, he had Body Slammers Wrestling Gym, and uh, it was up on the fifth floor of the Masonic Temple in downtown Lima, and, uh, you know, there was a lot of people that went through there. You know, people don't realize, you know, you had a Chris Benoit um, came through and wrestled there. You had, you know, Sabu, you had Dan Severin, you had all these guys, you know, that, uh, you know, they, they were there. And, uh, you know, I took to heart what Al told me, you know, taught me. And uh, guys like Crusher Klein and guys like that that were there helped teaching uh, then. Um, you know, people don't realize, you know, Lima, Ohio's always had a rich history in professional wrestling. You know, going all the way back, 
um, you know, we ran in the, what they call the UAW hall. And uh, I got some, uh, I got some uh, newspaper clippings that was from like the forties and the fifties, you know, thirties, forties and fifties of, you know, professional wrestling going on in that town. You know, we had a building called the Pan Rec Arena. Um, you know, it was an ice hockey arena. They had professional wrestling there, you know, and to be totally honest with you, um, I tell people this all the time, you know, uh, as far as me being a promoter, you know, I tell people, you know, even after 22 years, Al Snow is still my mentor. So if I don't conduct myself in the right manner and I'm just a douchebag and, you know, and I'm crapping all over the business to me, even after all these years, that has reflection on him, you know, cause that's my mentor. That's my teacher. You know, he taught me, he gave me an opportunity 22 years ago to be a part of this business. And, you know, now once again, it's not, now it goes back to the ring and all that. It's my, it's my obligation, my duty and my job to teach the next generation, just like he gave me an opportunity 22 years ago. You know, so, you know, it's all, it all comes for a full, full circle, you know, I mean, in Al's case, you know, um, he's got a wealth of knowledge and, uh, one thing about Al that a lot of people, uh, you know, once you get to know him is, is Al's not a, Al's not the type of man to throw away, uh, not throw away, uh, throw out compliments. Um, no, he was a self-made man, you know, he traveled the road, he did all that. And, uh, even after 22 years, you know, when I had a conversation with him two years ago was the very first time in 22 years that he ever thanked me for keeping wrestling alive in Lima, Ohio, in his hometown. And that meant the world to me because, you know, he gave me that opportunity. And, you know, uh, I'm still going to continue that probably till the day that I'm out of professional wrestling. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, use his teachings. And, uh, you know, uh, I've made a lot of mistakes over the years, and I want to pass that on to other people to not make those mistakes. Wow. Well, well, that is incredible. Tremendous uh, praise from one of the true greats inside of the business of professional wrestling. Uh, again, we are joined by Thomas Big Time uh, William of War Wrestling. Earlier this year, War Wrestling celebrates its 17th anniversary show. Uh, I, I got to say that when, when it comes to the overall, the presentation, the professionalism, that live event vibe, anyone would be hard pressed to find any promotion that can top war. Can you talk about the keys to success and cultivating this culture that you have and in, in so many ways, how you've turned it into a viable business? Uh, can yeah, I, well, I think the biggest thing, the biggest thing for me is, is uh, I tell people this all the time, um, you know, I'm the glue and or the, 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 the grease to the wheel. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, I got expectations and I know what it, what it is to put on a good show. And I've surrounded myself with a lot of good people over the years. Um, you know, uh, my ring crew, my concessions, my, you know, my security, all that, um, they're, they're my friends and my family. And they know what it, what it means, um, what, what the, you know, what wrestling means to the community. Um, you know, so we give 110% all the time or we just don't do it. And the reason, you know, you said talk about it being a viable business, uh, you know, uh, Another thing that we're very, very proud of is me and my wife's proud of is, is um, over the last uh, 18, going on 18 years um, with World Wrestling, we've actually donated back to the Lima area, uh, my hometown, on over $400,000 uh, wow. to them. Wow. And, and, you know, and that's 100% strictly through wrestling. You know, um, we donate tickets to the local MRDD and, you know, the uh, kids with, you know, with di developmental disabilities and all that. You know, we've we've bought a semi truckload of food, you know, for the veterans food pantry. You know, we've done all those sort of things. You know, we did bowling with fans and, you know, basically, you know, just bowling, you know, bowling, just like, you know, on a Friday, Saturday night, 
we had some of the wrestlers there, some of the staff there. The fans paid, you know, money to bowl with us, and we we gave we gave the veteran food pantry all that money. We gave them like twelve hundred dollars cash money, and, and you know they said, you know, that's going to basically buy a semi truckload worth of uh, food, and that's strictly because war wrestling in this area is a brand. You know, they know if our name's attached to something, we're going to give it one hundred ten percent. You know, um, you know the, where we where we run at now. You know, the building we run in it's a community center. You know, um, there's needs. People got needs, you know, for the community. You know, at Christmas time, you know, we we got a collection together and we uh, bought um, dental uh, hygiene products and stuff for the elderly. And we gave it to them for Christmas through through the through, our, through the community center. You know, we've bought, you know, turkeys and, and uh, you know, all that stuff for the veterans or whatever, uh, you know, around Christmas time, whatever. They have a big, huge community dinner that's, you know, for the people. And, you know. They know that, you know, if my name's attached to it, I'm going to make it happen. Then, you know, that's what we do. You know, we go out, you know, we do what needs to be done. I got, you know, a lot of friends and family that help us. And, you know, it's just, it's all about giving back to the community now that I live in. You know, a lot of people don't realize um, as far as in the city um, of Lima, you know, uh, I believe, and I I'm, don't quote, I'm going to say it's pretty close to what I'm getting ready to say, but like 85% of the, the kids that go to the schools are considered poverty level, you know? So I know what it's like to, to be, you know, to be hungry. I know what it's like to grow up poor, you know, and those sort of things. And, and, and I just, you know, I'm not a Husky energy or a BP or something like that, where I can just cut you, you know, a $30,000 check and it's a tax write off. You know, I, I'm in the trenches every day, you know, trying to help people, you know, trying, trying to make sure, you know, that, you know, they got food, you know, and, and, and stuff like that. Like when this, uh, you know, crisis hit, um, we got a family, family or whatever that uh, came over to the house and we cooked dinner for him. And, and the one gentleman is 98 years old and he thanked us for having dinner for him, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, what, look at the stuff that he's seen. You know, he's seen the Great Depression. He's seen all those sort of things or whatever. And, you know, we're blessed that we can do that through war wrestling. You know, I mean, that's just what I tell people all the time. I mean, war wrestling to me is just my way of giving back to the local community. Well, it was certainly war wrestling, wrestling and respect with a, a huge emphasis on the respect part uh, to, to be entwined with the community there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the biggest thing I tell everybody, you know what I mean? Um, you know, in my eyes, I tell people this, you know, professional wrestling is the bastard child of saint, you know? And the reason why I say that is, is because it, it, it's got a stigma on it. It's had a stigma on it for many, many years. You know, it, it's, you know, we're a bunch of misfits. We're a bunch of, you know, um, it's the worst of the worst and, and all of that. And I want to be, you know, that person, that promotion um, who tries to give back. And I'll be totally honest with you. There's a lot of guys in this business that don't like me, don't like my methods. Um, they don't like that I'm outspoken about things, you know, because, you know, professional wrestling as a whole, it's, it's always had a, you know, what happens behind the door stays behind the doors. And, you know, you turn a blind eye to the BS. And I'm the type of person that says, I'm just going to tell you like it is, you know, because guess what? If you're a douchebag and, you know, that sort of thing, I'm going to call you out on it because that has a reflection on the me and what I've gave 22 years of my life doing. You know what I mean? That's the thing. I'm 47 years old now. You know, I don't know how many more years I got left, but I want to leave it better than what it was when I started. And unfortunately, it's not that way right now. You know, um, you know, there's a lot of things going on, uh, you know, in the business, uh, especially on the independent scene, you know, uh, you know, that, you know, it's just, it's just, I'm not a fan of it. You know what I mean? I'm not, and I'm not even talking about in-ring stuff i'm just talking about the behind the scenes stuff the attitudes of the guys the attitudes that they have towards the fans you know and all that sort of thing so you know it is what it is i mean like i said i, I just do my part i try to stay in my own lane 
and I try to do what I think is best. And I try to help people along the way, you know, like you, you know, you mentioned denim, you know, I talk to denim about things and, and, I, and if he needs something, I try to help him out because guess what? You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of professional wrestling is all grouped together. So, you know, if he has a bad show that has a reflection on us, you know, um, and that sort of thing, because at the end of the day, we just want to, you know, we're all in this together. Um, you know, so if, you know, that promotion is drawing 40 fans and we're drawing 400, well, what can I do to get him to draw 400 fans too? You know, so that's what a lot of people don't understand. You know, um, they don't realize, you know, like you said, I'm a wealth of knowledge. And unfortunately, the way things go in professional wrestling is, is um, you get a lot of people, what I call ass kissers and uh, blow, you know, blow smoke up the guys' butts and tell them what they want to hear. And I'm the total opposite. I'm going to tell you exactly the way that it is. And you can form your own opinion if you believe me or not. You know, um, I just, you know, I, I tell people this all the time as far as me. Um, you know, I lost my house and everything over professional wrestling. You know, because I believe somebody, you know, many, many moons ago that, you know, they promised me the world and I stuck my neck out and boom, it was all gone in a blink of an eye. And, you know, I lost my house. I've lost, you know, pretty much everything that I could possibly lose from professional wrestling. You know, the one constant was my wife, you know, so she's been through it all. And, uh, you know, I made a vow, you know, a vow to her, hit a bad spot. I made a vow to her, you know, quite a few years ago, you know, that we would, you know, we would do wrestling the right way. And like I said, you know, I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea because I am very, very outspoken. And I tell people all the time, I was like, I'm not one of the boys. You know, I'm not a wrestler. I don't have that mentality. I don't, you know, I just don't. I don't have the mentality of a wrestler um, or somebody in professional wrestling. I mean, I, I'm directly involved in it, yes, but I don't have that same mentality. You know what I mean? Like my family and my friends are, are number one. Um, you know, I know, like we talked about earlier, you know, before we started recording that, you know, a lot of these guys are in survival mode and like me, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm living my life. I'm still doing what needs to be done. I'm taking care of my family. I'm taking care of my friends. And if wrestling is there, you know, six months from now, then cool. I'll, I'll be back there to help. And that's the big thing that hurts me and my wife right now is, is, you know, by us not doing the shows, you know, we can't give back to the community the way that we want to give back to the community. You know, because that's what we use, you know, like, you know, when they have the food drives and they do all those sort of things and the free, you know, free stuff, whatever, none of them were right there. And unfortunately, you know, we're, we don't have that right now with not doing the shows. So that's the big thing for me is, is just get back to the normal of doing the shows because I know it's going to help uh, wrestling or help the community uh, as a whole down the road. I think it's a tremendous perspective. And I think across the board, it'd be a much more better industry, especially on that independent level. People had the outlook and solve professional wrestling the, the way that you do. But let's, let's talk about, you know, it comes up in about every conversation that anybody throughout society is having today. And that's uh, the COVID mania running wild brother. And it's, <laughs> it's had a major impact uh, everywhere, every walk of life. And that, you know, that really holds true through independent wrestling so much certainly going forward, Obviously, with two years plus years experience in the business, two years, you know, promoting running events, you've been able to adapt before you've you've seen adversity overcome that. How are you and war approaching this immediate future and potential long term changes inside of wrestling? Well, you know, to be honest, it's, it's, it's a day by day thing. And the reason why I say that is, is to me and I and I know I'll get heat for saying this, but. To me, wrestling needs to be on the back burner, you know, um, and, and I say that from this aspect, you know, um, just here in Ohio, OK, 
okay. And, I, and I'll throw out some statistics and, 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 and all that. My sister-in-law works for the Bureau of Unemployment, okay? And uh, she's working seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And they've had almost 800,000 claims just here in Ohio in the last four weeks. And to kind of put that in perspective is, is that's more claims that they've had in all of 2018 and 2019 combined. So, you know, to me, this is a bigger thing than, than independent wrestling. You know, I mean, yeah, it's an outlet for a lot of us. and It's our, it's our escape from day-to-day life, you know, and, and this and that. But to be totally honest with you, it's a day-by-day thing. I mean, you know, uh, and, you know, you, in our case, you know, I'll be honest, in our case, you know, we got the state, you know, that we got to worry about. And also, like, where our building is, you know, it's a community center. And, you know, 85% of their clientele are senior citizens. Well, guess what? The number one age range for the COVID, COVID-19 is senior citizens. So they're not even going to remotely even open up that building if there's a risk of something happening in that building. You know what I mean? So they don't even think about that. You know, I get guys, you know, they're like, oh, I can't wait to get back into wrestling. And, you know, I'm going to do an unsanctioned, you know, no fans match. And I'm going to do this that, and the other. You know, they don't look at the big, the bigger picture. The bigger picture thing is, is, you know, everyone's hurting right now. You know what I mean? That's the reason why I went to Columbus today. You know what I mean? My sister-in-law is a nurse. She just had a baby, you know, so they don't really have any income. Her, her boyfriend is laid off. So, you know, to me, it's a way, way bigger, bigger, uh, scary scenario, um, you know, than what a lot of people under don't get it. You know, I mean, like I said, you know, just from the aspect of, like I said, the 800,000 claims for unemployment, you know, um, it's just way, way bigger than what any of us, um, you know, do I think there'll ever be a new norm or we'll get back to the way that it was? Absolutely not. You know, um, I think this whole thing is going to make people question about coming to the shows i think it's going to make uh wrestlers question about hanging out with the fans and, and uh you know shaking their hands and hugging them and taking pictures with them and, and all that and that's all going to have an effect financially it's all going to have an effect you know uh to the overall product um so i think a lot of guys just don't understand that like in our case i'll be totally honest with you um you know if we don't do a summer show um you know plus our uh home venue shows which have been april and may um, in our, our summer shows, as a company, we're out $25,000, you know, and that's just ring rentals, sold shows, fair shows, and that sort of thing, you know, and then that show, the two shows we would have done in April and May, you know, so, you know, that's just from the company standpoint, you know, and I don't, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how many, how many companies could come back from that, you know what I mean? Uh, very, very few would be able to come back from a loss, you know, is, is you know, Majority of, well, I'd say 90% of our product and uh, our, our equipment and all that is bought and paid for. So we don't have to worry about that, you know. And we also have a loyal little fan base. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, when April rolled around, um, you know, we had front row sold out. Well, April got canceled. Well, then we rolled over the tickets to May. Well, now May got canceled. So now we're rolling those tickets over to September, which is our next home venue show. Well, guess what? You know, VIPs already sold out for first row and most of second row for a show that happen- that's happening in September. So, you know, we got that little fan base or whatever that will be there to support us long haul. And I think a lot of the smaller independent promotions may not have that. And I think that, you know, they'll go by the wayside. And then that also means there's less work and less money to be made by the wrestlers. So, you know, it's going to have a huge effect all the way around from top to bottom. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you mentioned in there, the importance of that connection with your fan base and, and, you know, kind of changing their expectations. You're not going to be able to be as cozy, if you will, 
Uh, but it still is important to let them know that you're there for them. If you know that release, when we do get back to professional wrestling, you know, it's in so many ways as well. It's, you know, it's a good bang for the buck night out for the family as opposed to going to, you know, a major sporting event or a concert or even out to dinner anymore. I mean, you get all that at professional wrestling, you know, that I regularly put over. It is the greatest form of entertainment because it reaches all genres, Uh, but there's going to have to be that adaptability, that curve, that evolution inside, especially independent wrestling. Is there any maybe positives that independent promoters war wrestling, any of the talents out there that they should be looking forward to. Uh, you know, we regularly just hear right now, gloom and doom about everything. Right. Uh, what are the positives that we can look forward to? Well, I think, I think it's going to re-energize a lot of the wrestlers. You know, they had time to heal up their bodies. Um, they had time to, to, to uh, in my, in my case, it whatever has me time to appreciate, um, you know, my family, you know, and, and all of that, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're the type of person is it's they're all or nothing. And what I mean by that is, is they're 100% in and, and committed to professional wrestling or whatever. And now that they don't have it, you know, they're like, holy crap, you know, let's, you know, now I'm looking for that ne- next escape. And I think it's going to make a lot of the guys uh, realize that it can be gone in a blink of an eye. So we need to appreciate it, our time here. You know, we need to go above and beyond for the fans. We need to go above and beyond for the promoters, you know, that put on the shows and, and the flip side of that is promoters need to go above and beyond for the wrestlers. You know, I mean, to me, you know, uh, you had mentioned, you know, you reached out to some of my colleagues and some of the guys that, we, you know, there's a small thing that I tell everybody that this, they just, you know, seem to not grasp, you know, uh, why, how hard is it to spend five bucks on a case of water to have water in the back for the guys? You know, we cater, we cater our food to the guys every single show you know we my wife or my buddies or whatever that own restaurants you know they'll cater food for the guy you know it just makes them appreciate um you know that their hard work in the ring and i think that translates over into you know going forward is is you know these guys you know they're gonna have to you know uh go above and beyond like you like i said they're gonna have to go above and beyond, beyond for the fans and they're gonna let have to let the fans know that they truly care about them and what i mean by that is is you know don't one of the big things that bugged me um, with when this all hit was, and it goes back to what I said about the survival mode, you know, a lot of these guys were all like, man, you know, please buy my merchandise, you know, please buy, you know, this $20 shirt or whatever, and this, that, and the other, you know, because they're in survival mode. That's a little bit of extra money that they make, you know, but what they failed to realize was is the people that they're asking to buy that $20 shirt may not have a job. They may have three kids that they got to support. You know, so you got to find that balance. You know what I mean? You can't keep, you know, take, take, taking without giving back. And that's the big thing with me is, is, you know, I want the guys to understand, you know, and instead of, you know, charging $20. Oh, it went black. Instead of charging $20. Instead of charging $20 for that shirt, you know, give them a little bit of a price break, you know, you know, make them, make them, you know, make them, you know, two, three bucks. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I truly don't know the mentality of the guys. Um, like I tell everybody, you know, and, and I've made this as a tagline on some of my posts before as, as you know, as, uh, you know, as in the seats, fans in the stands and, uh, you know, and those have all been tag- tags that I've used over the years is because my mentality is a little bit different. And a lot of guys don't look at it that way. You know, a lot of guys look at it as, you know, uh, they're separating a mark from their money. You know, they're trying to soak them dry. And, you know, I'm not about that, you know. So hopefully, you know, the guys 
we'll see a bigger picture to just appreciate the fans and not take them for granted. They're suffering just like all of us. You know, I mean, I got fans, you know, that that are going to the, you know, soup kitchen to get food. And I got, you know, we got fans that you know, have had no income for, for a month. We even got some of our staff. That you know they they were employed, and even a lot of people are going to have bills to catch up on once everything gets back to the new norm. So I think you know you're going to have to promote it. You're going to have to give them more bang for their buck for the fans to come out. You know, um, like in our case, you know, we do tickets for front row reserved, uh, sixteen dollars a ticket. You know, the average movie price is twelve dollars here in, in the Lima area. So you know they get in an hour and a half early. Um, you know, uh, so they can get concessions. And, you know, that's another thing, you know, concessions. We keep everything affordable, you know. I mean, we sell our own concessions. I think the most expensive thing on our menu is $3.25. And that's like loaded nachos, you know, a big, huge thing of loaded nachos. You know, we get, we keep everything affordable, you know, to where, like you said earlier, you know, the family can actually come to the show, eat their dinner, get a good night of entertainment for four people. And it might cost them 75 bucks. Well, 75 bucks to a lot of wrestling fans is that's maybe, you know, say seven or eight hours worth of their normal day-to-day life work-wise, hourly-wise, you know? So you got to look at it from that aspect. You know, you got to go above and beyond. You got to give them a show. You got to uh, make the fans feel that they're important. Excellent, excellent. Well, uh, Big Tom, I want to thank you for your time here today. Uh, can you share with our listeners where they can keep up w- with yourself and, and all things war wrestling? <laughs> well, right now we got uh, we got warwrestling.com, but we only do sell our tickets and stuff through that. Um, we have a Facebook page. Uh, if you look up Thomas Williams, it'll have like a War Wrestling logo on there. That's kind of like the War page slash, you know, my page where I interact with fans or whatever. And we also have a business page if you look up War Ohio, uh, you know, uh, through Facebook. We have the Twitter. It's like The War Wrestling. Um, all, anything, if you type in War Wrestling, uh, 99% of that will uh, 99% of that will basically come through me or uh, it's war wrestling related or whatever, you know, like I said, I'm glad you guys reached out to me. If there's anything I can do in the future to help you guys, uh, when you guys post it, definitely tag me and I'll share it through our business page and all of that. I think we got uh, 8,000, I believe people through our business page and that sort of thing. And we interact with them quite a bit on that. So yeah, like I said, I appreciate your time and I uh, appreciate you uh, letting me open up and vent a little bit about us, our history and, you know, the things that I kind of make my mind tick. <laughs> so. Hey, well, again, thank you for being with us. And I forgot to throw this in there. I, I can't believe it was at the bottom of my notes here. Uh, War wrestling was home to my all time favorite independent wrestler, Stamp Lickich, <laughs> all time favorite over here. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you a quick story about him. We did the postal gimmick too, uh, Dexter Dementia and me, where this round Dexter Dementia and the Postmaster, that was our gimmick when we first started wrestling 22 years ago. And uh, we had heard through the grapevine that there was another uh, wrestler uh, that did the postal gimmick. And uh, so we went down to an NWF show in Medi, and I said, dude, hey, listen, you know, let's, uh, let's uh, tag up. And th- at the time, we actually did the gimmick with another guy. We took over from him called Disgruntled Jason Vice. Mr. Vice was his name. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Stamp, is, Stamp is a good dude. I'm actually uh, still friends with him to this day. And he's actually a superintendent of a school system. Stamp's a good dude, man. I love Stamp. You know, I always consider him family. You know, we, we was delivering for 10 years or, you know, 10 years of our life. You know, so 
John's a good dude. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, everybody uh, got disconnected. <laughs> We got a little bit of a break up there, so uh, thank you again. Yep. Uh, but we'll be right back on the Hot Tag WrestleCast after words yep. from our friends over at Broaster's Coffee. Bro, if you're a real coffee lover, then you've got to try Broaster's Limited Edition Vince Russo Bro Coffee. Available right now at www.thebroasters.com. This limited edition coffee is fresh roasted weekly and shipped directly to your door. You will love the Nicaraguan blend with roasted chocolatey notes when you smell it. Get your Vince Russo Bro Coffee today at thebroasters.com and follow them at Coffee Broasters today on Twitter. Enjoy the best coffee today, bro. From Broasters, Vince Russo Brand, and Hameen Media Group. We're back here on the Hot Tag WrestleCast, and that was uh, a word from Broasters. And right now, I, I know that there's some individuals up there in Stanford that they, they need maybe a nice refreshing cup of the Joe for a little bit of a wake-up call. The quarterlies came in this week, and we're going to turn to talk financials. We're going to welcome back in from the Hami Media Group, the ace reporter, Frito Scoops, William Alicia. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you very much. Pleasure being here. Another week, another uh, interesting week to say the least. Um, lots of things happening for the uh, for the WWE to say the least. Uh, most certainly, you know, last week we had you on the hot tag with us to kind of looking forward, or maybe I don't know, looking forward to it per se, as you and I are both both stockholders here. Right? We got a little bit more on the line than than most out there, uh, but most certainly everybody a huge focal point inside the industry of professional wrestling is what we were going to get from WWE during these announcements with the first quarter reports. We set the table last week, Will. We had to bring you back to, to finish up, to hit us with the recap. You were on the call, sir. Uh, before we jump into some of these bullet points that really jumped out to us, uh, overall impressions uh, listening in. You know, I, I came in, you know, with a pessimistic feeling. You know, I figured with uh, everything that's been happening – and the cuts over the last week, I thought, oh boy, they're going to have a lot of, a lot to um, to talk about on this call, and not for the right reasons. But um, that didn't happen. Um, we wound up getting some some really good numbers. You know, at the end of the day, uh, as we talked about last week on the show, uh, uh, you know, sometimes you know, in, in the business world, you know, these are things that have to happen. Um, Due to the fact that they're public, you know, publicly traded company, uh, these things are kind of necessary sometimes. Um, and you know what? It, it paid off. They had a sixty percent year-over-year, you know, net revenue growth. You know. Well, so, you know, we're going to jump into some of these numbers. And again, you know, that's what you do. You're, you're out there. This is you're walking the catwalk here. You're out on the runway. You got to look good. But you know, as we're talking about, maybe there was a bit of concern going into these into these meetings and figuring out. You know where the company stands right now in this you know, the early part of 2020. I think 
that concern that existed with inside that bubble that we find ourselves in at times. So that was inside that wrestling bubble and everybody is still under that panic mode of seeing all those releases. You know, ultimately, when you step away from that, when you look at it just from a pure business standpoint, the releases really shouldn't come at any surprise. We've seen everything that's happening as you're turning the corner here, you're looking at what is going to be an absolute disastrous quarter two, almost a complete wash across this board. So you're trying to gear up in that sense. Uh, so they went ahead and made those moves immediately following WrestleMania going into this quarter. But I said that from a business perspective, I mean, we saw the stock begin to rise again. It's been on an upward swing since those releases happened. Uh, so taking that step back, we're looking at that big picture here. Let's dive into some of these things. Is Shill Vickery Shill, it's, it's where I get it from. WWE does it to the very finest, uh, to the top of the gills here. So let's look at the, the good or the shilling, if you will. When you talk about some of these positive numbers, 60% year-over-year net revenue growth. Uh, they're up to 20, $291 million. Uh, one of the huge positives coming after this one. Uh, when it comes to the network, they added networks or the network subscribers peaked at 2.1 million on April 6th. Obviously, we're talking about WrestleMania weekend. Uh, again, that's making absolute history for them. On the call, they declined to say how many of those were free versus paid. But let's look at it a positive here. That's people interested in taking the time to at least invest there inside of the programming. I think so. I mean, you're talking that 2.1 million was something that uh, wound up peaking throughout the weeks leading up to WrestleMania and WrestleMania week. And then this is the year where they they dubbed it as a uh, uh, let's see, too big for one night only. And so, I mean, every year uh, at this time of the year, you'll you'll, you'll get the peak and viewership of peak. Uh, uh, you know, the numbers will, will raise, you know, they'll rise during WrestleMania week. And, um, you know, that, that didn't, you know, that didn't stop. It, it happened this year as well. Um, you know, while we didn't see the uh, actual numbers of, of exactly what those 2.1 million subscribers were paid versus, versus free, um, you know, it was still a success for them nonetheless. So, well, you look at the key performance indicators inside of this 2.1, and it's still, you know, how many, and not necessarily, it, the most important thing there is obviously on that surface, we're looking at free versus paid, but the retention rate, how many are, are you going to hold over from this thing? And how many of those that actually were paid, are you going to be able to, to maintain that, to keep them going through these summer months when we see people kind of buckling down on their budgets, that disposable income? Uh, one of the pluses out of this, though, that we're looking at in the key performance indicators, 1.6 million paid during these peak times. So we do have that number available. Uh, we also know another positive here during WrestleMania week, uh, up 28% in complete in overall viewership. Uh, let's see here, 46 million hours were consumed, which takes us up 28% from the prior year. Our digital video increased 25%. Uh, they were sitting at 9.6 billion and 344 million hours across all these platforms were consumed. That's up 15%. So during this time, people sitting at home, they're looking for something to occupy their time. They're looking for that sweet release. Uh, this is a positive that people were turning to WWE. Overall, yeah. Yeah. 
Let's see here. We talked about this off the charts WrestleMania, social interaction, network subscribers, and all of this. One of the other key elements coming out of this little brief discussion within the larger picture here, uh, Vince very excited about this. And it does seem that we are going to be moving forward more with the many movies that we saw from WrestleMania. So absolutely, they, I mean, they are embracing this thing. And what people saw there, the expectations, they're, they're looking to evolve and, and move a little bit forward. When it comes to the network, and we're seeing some of these, these positives, and obviously, you know, if we would sit down with someone like our good friend Michael Jarger, he's going to put a completely different spin on these things. Uh, but what was the feel that you got being on the, the call there, Will? Uh, was, was there a good energy uh, about those in the presentation? I think so. I mean, what, what I, what I, my overall thoughts were, it was more, there was actually more positives than there were any negatives, right? I mean, w when we further look down and we'll discuss that in, in a little bit about, you know, what wasn't done. Um, I think overall, they had a good quarter. Um, as McMahon mentioned, there were two to three weeks that uh, COVID, the pandemic actually affected business in WWE. Um, and that was toward the end of the quarter. Um, their new deals with, uh, with Fox and USA have already, you know, been in effect. Um, so that's been a big help and, and, and we're going to continue seeing that in the next quarter. Um, hopefully if, uh, if things go well with, um, a couple of distribution deals that they have in the works, that'll go ahead and affect uh, quarter two. And I think that overall, as long as they continue producing content, um, that's all guaranteed money, right? So I think what we'll see is a is a positive year for them, despite everything else that you know, you know, those in the bubble we see on a weekly basis. Um, business wise, they're doing just fine. Um, this is pretty much uh, what some people call an idiot proof type of model that they have because a lot of it is is guaranteed money from the you know distribution rights fees. So. But when we talk about the importance of when they're going to those buckets, they're going to the well, that revenue that is going to sustain this company moving forward in these times of uncertainty, not really knowing when we're going to get back to any kind of normalcy. It is the networks. Uh, and it is kind of they received some other good news. There was all this concern, you know, why are they continuing to push forward? Why were, you know, they were so persistent about we must continue on with live television. Uh, it does seem that you have at least Fox has come forward and said, you know what, we will loosen up the, the reins on you, the, the restraints that we've got here in place. You have some wiggle room. We still want you to continue with original content, but we have seen where they are willing to work with WWE, which has let them alter the filming schedule. Where now we're going to be on a, a, every other week kind of going back to the early days, the heydays of Raw and how they, they scheduled everything there. Uh, another positive, you know, coming, you know, coming from the quarterly here, in that demand, as we see the spike in numbers here, where people are, they're, they're tuning in, they want professional wrestling right now, is this has led Vince McMahon to remain optimistic about a network deal and a streaming partner being closer than ever. Uh, we, we heard some rumblings that maybe that had fallen through, but now that they, that they have this, that people, that there is this demand for this, that they feel confident that we're going to see this deal get done, you know, hopefully by the end of 2020 or something we can report on at the end of quarter four and your feelers will uh, our major players inside of this thing, you know, ESPN plus, if it be an Amazon, uh, Netflix, are any of those still front runners? Who's interested still in, you know, taking over those rights of the network? 
I know that there was talk of um, so we heard talk of ESPN Plus. We've heard talk of um, the Zone, but then again, they have some type of deal with the Zone. Um, where they're airing in another country right now. Um, I don't know. If the, I don't remember off the top of my head from the call. However, uh, with ESPN Plus um, at one point Amazon. Um, I think the, the 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 current leaders right now are are, are ESPN Plus and I believe Fox as well. Um, but it looks as though if any deal were to, were to happen, it would probably be with uh, ESPN Plus. The last I heard, um, those deals, they're still, they're still in negotiations. The issues are the numbers, you know. Um, Vince, is, Vince has some really high numbers for what he wants for, um, for this particular deal to, you know, pretty much close. Um, so they're off, you know, the network is off, um, he's off. Um, so it's a, it's a matter of just, you know, where are they going to get to? I think there was a, a number floating around of $120 million, if I'm not mistaken, um, you know, to get those, those rights over to um, the streaming service. Um, but it's only a matter of time. I mean, when we look at how things are going right now, you've, you've kind of, kind of got to go outside of uh, professional wrestling, kind of going to um, MMA with the UFC and the deal that they currently have there. If there was a deal similar to that, it, it probably wouldn't happen. Um, I believe that their deal with ESPN is a little over a billion dollars every year. You bring but, up, um, and, I, and I know when Vince, saw, when Vince saw that money that was awarded there to the UFC for the rights to their pay-per-view events, uh, obviously, you know, his eyes began bugging out very excited the, the potential that he could have there uh, i mean he's got a show that's on the road weekly i mean so much more content that he could provide uh which which kind of brings up a question now if they could get into a a partnership involving all of those platforms uh with the ufc wwe and espn maybe certainly in this time where we've already heard some rumblings conversations happening that the UFC is interested in using the performance center. That's right. That's right. We, um, there's been some, some talk about the UFC. I think we spoke last week too, even, even, uh, the boxing association as well with Bob Abram talking about maybe uh, bringing boxing center. It just seems that whatever, whatever has happened over the past week, uh, they've set a precedent for some things to come. And as far as UFC is concerned, there's a possibility within the next couple of months. I mean, we already know that on May 9th that they're confirmed for the, uh, I believe it's the Violin Memorial Arena or something like that uh, out in Jacksonville. Um, you know, but to bring it there, knowing that it's going to be an empty arena show versus something like at the Performance Center, you know, if the deal's made there, uh, it, it, may be, uh, uh, it might be better doing it there. Um, but we'll see. We'll see how that works out. Um, there's a lot. There's a there's a lot of unknowns, but um, a, as the days come, we're gonna find out bits and more. But if you put the pieces together and you see what's been happening as of late versus now versus what you think would happen, odds are, put the pieces together and and and, and we're we're gonna see some major developments within the next several weeks. You know, may, maybe sooner. I don't know. I, I'm still gearing up. The the excitement we regularly talk about it over Mondays in the locker rooms where you can catch myself alongside. Uh, the vets, the brilliant vets of Ben Hameen and Dr. Man Beast, Ted McNaylor. 
we're excited for this this fight island to potentially be coming up you know we want the the classic uh going back to uh the van damme movies blood sport that's what we want that's what that's what we want from fight island absolutely the potential there and, and the partnerships that they could come up with uh could be beneficial for for everybody especially at the times we're in but we're talking about going to those wells and we're talking about these partnerships let's look at one that's kind of iffy right now and this was kind of swayed towards the negative side during the call here uh, of course i'm talking about the deal in the middle east uh obviously here saudi arabia they want they want their future events everything going on right now is it's so unclear what could happen especially around those projected november and december dates i guess they are obligated. The contract is still in effect. So WWE would just have to tack on extra dates onto the back end of the current deal here. Uh, but obviously everything with the network still being absent there in the Middle East, what are you hearing about this situation? Are we seeing any improvements? Are, is the, are the Saudis, the sports authority there, are they understandable about these circumstances or in typical fashion, are they being stubborn? Uh, stick to the deal. They're going to strong hand and, and have their way come hell or high water. No, uh, more of the um, more of the former. Um, it, 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 it's a good relationship. It's a healthy relationship. Um, a lot of what we saw prior to this is strictly business type of thing, right? Um, we're talking. We're not talking, you know, just a, a couple of dollars here, right? We were talking a good fifty to sixty million dollars um, the last time there was a you know some type of an incident out there, um, which wound up being some you know a big debacle public relations nightmare and you know the fact that we had wrestlers that were out there they got stuck um and the rumors were basically that you know the country the country of saudi arabia gave them some some shit you know so to speak because of mcmahon trying to strong arm them um no that's rather the former we're um it's a, it's a good relationship right now um and they don't they're not going to go ahead and, and lose those shows if you don't if you lose a show you're talking you're talking a good a good amount of money you know that you're going to lose on the event i mean these are sold shows so you're talking 50 to you're talking about 50 to 60 million dollars um that you'll make in, in one day that's that's one day's worth of pay for the company um so to back to, to put it you know towards the back end of the contract that's a smart move um what it'll do is just secure the entire deal and keep things keep things going. I, I'm I'm pretty certain uh, from what I've heard over the past week, it, it's you know the whole pandemic. It's just there's so much uncertainty that there are some things that kind of go beyond the actual normal deals. So because because no one knows exactly what's going to happen, um, we we don't know. So you know there's more there's more questions than answers. But as far as the actual deal with themselves and as far as the actual relationship with the GSA between the WWE, uh, it, it's a positive one right now. And they hope to keep it that way, you know, for years to come. I hope so. You know, it's, it is nice to give people kind of the benefit of a doubt, no matter where they're from, all walks of life or, you know, past perceptions and all that. But at the end of the day, this is about business and they are going to want their financials. It is about that bottom line, making that dollar. We're talking about the potential loss of events or maybe, you know, the adjustment there in Saudi. One thing that is we can pretty much say is fairly certain 
is there is going to be an absolute change in how we see live events operate inside of North America, uh, even inside the, the UK, the regular touring schedule here. That's unquestionable. Now, what that is going to look like, what the future is going to present in options for revenue stream going forward, it, it seems as if WWE is already realizing they're going to make some drastic cuts in that area. And we are going to see a decline in live events. And many would argue this is probably a, a much better plan of attack going forward is, you know, scale back where we've already been running. You're running three different brands, multiple nights a week. So at any given point, you could be running between, you know, with television, 12 to 14 live events. You're running, you're, you're spreading your product very thin. It's not that much in demand. Ultimately, the feeling with inside of WWE's got to is got to be let's create that demand once again for this product, and in doing so, they'll be able to prosper over time even greater. Uh, is that your understanding right now? I think so, absolutely. And if you go back the uh, past years, I mean, just looking at the actual uh, KPIs right now, the key performance indicators here, um, you know, in quarter one back in. 2018 we go back they had 99 events and that went down by nine over in 2019 with 90. In 2020 we've seen that what's, ha what's happened between 2019 and 2020. Well we had the um, the rise of, of Holy Elite Wrestling and we had a lot of things happen right you know behind the scenes in terms of um, contracts you know being held no one being released and you know just the fear of hey what, what was this new company going to bring? Um, you couple that in with what their business model is, which is just live TV and very little live events, really no live events right now. And with the struggling live event market as it is with WWE, we've seen all the, uh, the numbers in terms of attendance uh, shrinking over the uh, you know, years. Uh, that, I mean, if you're looking at 2020 right now, uh, there's, there was just 41 live events that they had. So that's a considerable amount. We're talking over half of that between 2019 and 2020. Um, but I mean, what's that going to do? I mean, we know that from the call that the distribution deals, everything that's guaranteed really offset a lot of the live attendance, you know, revenue that they would have generated um, over time. Um, and that business model is going to continue. I mean, what you're going to wind up seeing is it, if and when things get back to normal, whatever, whenever that may be, uh, you'll wind up seeing less shows. There won't be as many as you would have had. I mean, you think about it, they usually have the middle of the week off. Wednesdays are like off days for, for WWE. Well, it, across Wednesdays you have, and Thursdays. The two major brands are running mm -hmm. uh, four days a week. They get, each mm -hmm. gets three off. So, I mean, including everything there. I mean, that's eight events. Uh, NXT is going to put in a handful there. You're running some special occasions where there might be, you know, more a C squad out there, something else happening. Uh, so again, you know, yeah, they are, they're covering a lot of ground. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, but you'll see a considerable amount of, of less shows moving forward. And, and, and it's going to be due to the trying times we're, we're, we're going to wind up seeing, you know, it kind of goes all across the board, right? Um, whether that be at a wrestling event, whether that be at another type of event, whether that be just, uh, you know, people going into restaurants and things like that. Um, I, I think, you know, you'll immediately see that bounce back. But ultimately, you know, as you're what you're kind of lending towards here, Will, is, is 
outside of, you know, just that need to get back out there and creating more of that desire by, you know, less is more from live events. Other factors we have to take into consideration here is, you know, are the arenas going to slash prices or at least pull back a little bit from what they've been, you know, typically charging for rental fees and all that, which is going to be a direct reflection of ticket sales. And if it does become more affordable for a family of four or five, six to go out, and taking an evening of WWE entertainment. And is and with the last touring, you're going to have more of your superstars together. It's more of a spectacular. You know, all of these things come together here and you can create a perfect storm. And with the persistency of WWE that they will push forward, you got to believe that they're going to take the bull by the horns. And when it comes to all of these different genres, forms of different entertainment, they're going to be at the forefront, you know, back up there touring regularly as opposed to, you know, maybe musical groups or the major sports that are limited to their certain areas. WWE can, they can really pinpoint those certain areas that are feeling neglected at the times that are still hungry for some sort of release and this entertainment. Again, this could create a perfect storm for WWE if they play their cards right. If they play the cards right, right. I think um, what we'll wind up seeing, it all goes back to, it all goes back to what's been the big issue for them. You know, why have the numbers over Role, you know, really decreased over years, and by numbers I mean in viewership and and whatever else. You know, you're talking what's it, what's within the the content itself. What are we seeing? Are we seeing compelling television, as uh, McMahon himself put it, right? Um, is that something that we've seen? Um, what we're seeing decline yeah. week after week. We're seeing decline. Early reports right now, absolutely abysmal, almost embarrassing numbers for this week's past SmackDown. Uh, you know, and they're out there touting it's the 25, 25 years of the game. It's supposed to be this grand celebration inside the business. And they absolutely get smoked across the board uh, by all the other major networks. And I know that, you know, people are going to, well, you know, they're up against the NFL draft and well, that we're not taking, that's not the excuse here anymore. We've given them all these passes. The benefit of doubt, they're running to the end of that rope. Bad television is bad television. And it is reflected. We're, we're talking about these numbers. Let's, let's go into some of these here. Uh, I know when they throw out the Fox deal inside of itself, obviously they're, they're beating that chest. They're proud that SmackDown readings are, uh, I believe it was at 16% from year to date. Well, we'll get out of here with that. I mean, that's, that's some ultimate shilling. That's blowing smoke straight up our asses. Of course they should be up. You went from a cable network to you know open air you're on you're with the big boys here and to only be up 16 is absolutely embarrassing uh and you're still weekly getting absolutely blown out of the water by these other major networks uh and they're not producing the numbers that that fox had hoped for so there is a great deal of concern there uh when it comes to raw ratings they're down 16 percent year over year now we can look across the board here USA Network as a whole is down 29%. And the top 25 cable networks are down 5%. I look at the back end of this. I look at that 29. I look at that 5%. And immediately, people are going to be, okay, you see, it's a, it's a bigger issue. It's just not WWE. I, I would flip the script on this. I'm USA Net Network. And I'm looking at that I am down 29% right now. Who do you go to? It's just like when a football team is failing. It's not the, you know, unless he's out there just botching field goals every week. But, you know, it's not the kicker. It's not the backup corner. It's the quarterback. You're the flagship program for that network. When you're 
you're showing that you're at a 16% decline, you're leading the way for that entire network to go down the drain. If they're tuning out on what's brought them to the dance, they're not going to be, the issue isn't reruns of Modern Family. The issue is you, Monday Night Raw, and you're the deterrent that's bringing viewers into this network. So again, across the spectrum, you've got the networks playing nice because we are at a, a time of panic and you, you have the, the pandemic and the situation that's going on here. You got to believe that those executives are sitting around and they're looking for that first, that first little chance, that opportunity they get. They're going to go at the WWE here. Is there any sort of concern in that area, rumblings that, that you're hearing that they're not showing on the surface well? So I haven't heard much about that, but it, it, it does go back to one thing that you said. You know, bad TV is bad television. Bad television is bad television. It, it, if, if you think for one second that um, a network is not going by their viewership numbers and you're going to be all set because you've had a, gosh, you know, a couple decades worth of a relationship with them, you've got another thing coming. You know, business is business at the end of the day. Um, you know, we know that both networks have a billion dollar deals with the WWE. Um, and what we do know is that if you think about it, it's, it's USA that has the, by a very minimal amount, has the bigger money deal with WWE. Um, and that was because the original plans called for uh, Raw to be on Fox. Um, I don't know if this has been reported or anything like that, but the original plans called for Raw to be on Fox and they wound up getting SmackDown instead. Um, that would have consisted of just major changes. I mean, you're talking Monday nights on Fox, you know, that, that's, that's their major night. That is a major TV night as is, uh, but that didn't happen. So, but what, we're, what are we saying is we're talking 16% decrease and then overall to the USA Network, 29% uh, decrease. That does fall on the WWE. You're talking of a, a, a show that's supposed to focus on, I mean, look at their demographics. Um, it's supposed to be a kid's show in a sense, but you're, you're running, you know, content that's supposed to be directed at, at children, I guess, at 11 o'clock. I mean, everyone's sleeping by that time. Um, and that's where they fail. I mean, they do that because of business, um, because they, they generate, they have another bunch of million dollars for that third hour. That's been something that been, they've been suffering for for years. Um, and it seems like it's just ignored. I mean, when you see things between the first two hours, it's kind of like, Whatever you see in the, in the third hour, um, for many, 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 many weeks, um, it's like watching another show sometimes. Um, and what we're seeing is just this great decline with, with, with everybody across the board. But then when the show ends, and if you get a, a, one of those USA shows, you're seeing F words, F bombs, you know, shit, fuck, all this, all this other stuff happening. You're like, you know, WWE can do some of these types of things. They could get a little more, you know, gritty, a little more edgier. Um, what's going on? I mean, they, they need to change. But well, I, I don't necessarily, course. and I've always been kind of that, that anti-proponent or, you know, that other side of the coin to that, well, we need that attitude back. We need that as we need PG-13. To me, that's another easy out. Uh, you're working inside your parameters. You have, you've set yourself that you are publicly traded, that you are family friendly, you are entertainment for everyone. You know, those other, those are easy outs over there. That is not an excuse going back to this lazy, creative, lowest common denominator booking. Bad television is bad television. You have, and you continually beat your chest. You're so proud of all these accomplishments on all of these platforms. 
Why are we not bringing these together? Why are you not connecting these different demographics? Why are you not connecting these different outlets and bringing your product full front in a singular movement to get people enthusiastic, to get them invested, where you really feel like, okay, now at this point, I'm not so focused in on reliant, on advertising and network deals because I have support systems in place where I can tie in. Yes, you know, if you advertise with us on this program, on television programming, we ha- we are going to include that and we have this full force driving that you're going to be involved with our social media, with our own private network. Outside of just what happens inside the ring and the superstars, there is a huge divide and a gap in connecting all these other branches inside of this business and this again is where wwe seems to continue to fail that's right you know it's um it's hard i mean for, for what you're saying it's, it's a fine balance that they have you know it's are you are you you're trying to connect to everybody but it, it just goes back to it goes back to that it, it's the same old thing that a lot of people talk about right creative this creative that creative this creative that um but it is what it is. Um, if you don't have compelling television, if you don't have something that is going to hook an audience, I mean, we see some of those things. We don't see as many hooks from them anymore, do we? Not as much. We don't see something that winds up being a long-term investment of a story. A lot of things are very short-term when you look at their shows. Um, their whole format over the years have, you know, it, it has changed. You know, if you see one particular angle, it's not long-term. It, it, it's usually one show. It's usually a show by show scenario. And I think, you know, when you're able to, if you look at successful shows, you have to understand, you know, why is it that they're doing so well? Um, it's because, you know, they have long-term stories. They have something that you can invest in. If you look at shows that just go on Netflix, right? Netflix has the ability to, you have a whole season worth, but you have a soul seasons where if you could just put a, a season let's just say Ozark for example I mean you know the show you know the story but there's something that's going to be hooking you for the next show to the next show to the next show if you look at something like WWE they don't have a lot of that it's just you look at major angles um, and then you look at the lesser major angles there's not a lot of focus that go into them it, it, it's just something random um, and and, and I don't know. I just, uh, I don't understand why, why it stays like that. But what I do know is this, is that as long as that continues, we're going to get to a point where, and the numbers are showing in, in viewership, you're going to get to a point where it's going to go down to just their major, their, their focus, their core audience, you know, their core audience, which could be the same audience that is that paid subscriber to the WWE Network what did they say? 1.6. At this rate, with the ratings and things of that nature, the, the viewership numbers, it's going to go down, it's going to go down, it's going to go down. And I think it's going to be to a point where it's going to reflect those same numbers. I'm not saying that you'll see 1.6 million every week tuning in only, and we'll lose all of that, but um, that's the direction that it's headed towards. And that just goes back to what we wind up seeing on, on weekly television. Um, I don't, you know, it's Something that they really need to um, focus on. They could just – all they need to do is mimic what's popular out there. We don't need Seth Seth Rollins as Jesus. We need him as the Tiger King, the Monday Night Tiger King. That'll boost them ratings. Now, I know joining us here, he's uh, he's been at the Gorilla. 
He's been, he's been uh, working hard away on the controls. But Big Joe is with us, and I want you two to talk about this one. Uh, I think this might be causing the, the, the biggest buzz coming out of this quarterly meetings. There's going to be no video game this year. Big Joe, I know you were heartbroken. Uh, yes and no. Um, I mean, it's no secret that just game-wise, this wasn't what, you know, as gamers, what, what we were expecting, you know, what WWE necessarily was expecting. You know, this is coming from a company, Visual Concepts, that puts out NBA 2K, which has been rock solid for a good number of years now. And this thing came out of the gate. I mean, you can just look up on YouTube and Google and find clips of uh, these glitches that are just like absolutely freaking hilarious. And I think that this is uh, the smart move to make, uh, not only money-wise, but I mean, just logistics-wise, they need to go back to the drawing board. Um, because, I mean, this left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And with a game, out now especially, we're talking Fire Pro World, that's pretty much the top-tier wrestling game. I think that that is kind of the direction that they kind of need to go. Something a little bit uh, more arcade and keyword fun they need to bring the fun back into the professional wrestling video games let me ask you either one of you might know this uh who as again i'm old school gamer i still have hooked up my nes my super nintendo uh so who is actually is it it's a company 2k who produces this wwe video game i guess more importantly my question is are they still in are they still in bed with this company or are they looking for someone new to kind of take the reins here um not uh, sure on that actually coming up in the next few days i believe on monday uh, we're going to find out what their future plans are i mean if they're still going to stick with 2k uh whether they're going to go with some other direction uh it's kind of up in the air but i think on monday it's actually there's going to be some type of announcement or there's going to be more said about about it so very, very yep, yep. It looks like Monday. That's that. That's exactly right, Joe. Yep. Uh, Monday, we should hear a little bit more about that. Yep. You know, I gotta say, I'm not. I'm like you, Rick. Um, I'll play a Sega Genesis or you know my NES, you know Nintendo here, but um, I'm not too caught up on games. I will say that um, when that announcement was made, I, I couldn't believe how um, you know, all the reactions that we got back from that. It was as if wow, you know, and that's just that's just me being so disconnected from the video game world. Um, but uh, it was quite a uh, kind of impressive to see that uh, the loss of WWE 2K21 was just I, not happening. And wow, I was I was a bit surprised. You know, people were just kind of freaking out, especially after you heard of just pretty much dumping all over the the last game that was released here. And really, the last couple of years, it seems it's kind of fallen out of favor with some of the the uh, the hardcore gamers out there. I will I will say this: when it comes to gaming, this last couple maybe the week or so during the lockdown. Uh, a guilty pleasure of mine over on YouTube, the angry gamer absolutely loved the content that he puts out there. I'd be sitting here in the office and people come walking in and it's like, are, are you okay? I, I'm just laughing hysterically at what he's putting out there. <laughs> tremendous YouTube search for the angry gamer. If, angry if you're gamer. into games, tremendous content out there uh, talking about tremendous content. Will, well, why don't you plug where, where everyone can keep up with all the reporting and, and the sheets that you're kind of shuffling yourself through. I'm sure since you were on last week, you've, you've probably now gone to work for like five more outlets. So, uh, so go ahead and hit your plugs, man. <laughs> That's the same. Uh, you could, you could catch me on Twitter. Uh, the handle is at WA34222WA. 
or you can catch me on Facebook, just type in William Alistair. Um, you can catch me at the Hami Media Discussion Group, where I'm, I'm usually there. Um, catch all our news. Uh, you could also catch um, me at IndyPW.com. We posted a uh, recent article just regarding some of the news of the week, uh, some of it regarding what we spoke about today, and just a couple of other news rumors. Um, or at last word on ProWrestling.com. Um, put out an article this week regarding um, Impact Wrestling with the new X Division champion, Willie Mack. Just uh, went a little bit over that match. Um, and you can catch me on Instagram. Just type in my name as well, uh, William Elisea. Excellent. Well, thank you again. Well, Big Joe, while we're out of here, I'm going to kick it over to you, man. What do you got going on coming up this week? For Turnbuckle Talk, we've got some interesting uh, discussion kind of going on. Some stuff that we haven't actually uh, touched on in this episode. Uh, the big one is uh, we're going to be talking about the, this Nia Jax uh, deal. We're going to get into that. I'm probably going to bury her ass uh, in that. And um, our Showstopper segment. I'm not going to give it away, but I mean, that's our, probably our most popular segment over on Turnbuckle Talk. Um, we have an interesting one um, lined up, so stay tuned for that. Well, absolutely, absolutely looking forward to that. And if you're planning on burying Nia Jax, I hope you have got one hell of a shovel, and I hope you've got a ton of time on your hands because you're going to be digging for a while, my absolutely, friend. Absolutely. Uh, but for us here on the Hot Tag WrestleCast, Episode 3, I want to thank our, our very special guest, of course, still joining us here, Frito Scoops, the HMG's ace reporter, William Alicia, uh, also from War Wrestling, owner-promoter, big time, Thomas Williams had some tremendous insight, very unique perspectives. Uh, so, uh, again, thank you to Big Tom for joining us. And, of course, our new friend, Joe's new friend, Big Joe's new friend, Coach Mark. So, uh, thanks again for everybody. And make sure you continue. Thank you and continue the support across all social media platforms. Just go ahead and give us a, a search for the Hot Tag WrestleCast. And, of course, you can listen every day, every week to all the incredible programming right here at hackerhameen.podbean.com. For me, I am Rick Vickery. You can follow me across all social media at The Real RBV. Joe, hit the outro. I clearly now, this world is cloudy. I get shrouded like Roddy Piper and Captain Howdy. Read about me. I'm not like them other guys. The cats are caterpillars. I'm butterfly. I see clearly now, this world is cloudy. I get shrouded like Roddy Piper and Captain Howdy. Read about me. I'm not like them other guys. Them cats are caterpillars. I'm butterfly. Dance like a butterfly. Sting like a jellyfish. Another smelly-ish. Pardon the embellishment. I'm Bart Simpson. My pet elephant is more intelligent than your elegant rhetoric. You sleepy-eyed, arrogant characters never forget or never remember. Sunbathe inside the surrogate weather. The fairest guarantee never compares to Pharisee letters. I'll spare them the care package prepared bare minimum these beats were made in america i blow hot air into them loose accused that you know move through fluid fuses no bruises is proven and tested by doctors invested by the union so here's my offer i see clearly now this world is cloudy i get shrouded like ronnie piper and captain howdy read about me i'm not like them other guys them cats are caterpillars i'm butterfly i see clearly now this world is cloudy i get rowdy like roddy piper and captain howdy 
read about me I'm not like them other guys Them cats are caterpillars I'm butterfly The kids no longer play with their speaking spells The kids no longer need to know how to spell The kids are snorting E and having orgies I'm old and boring Just found out that my true love abhors me Say more stories than the Canadian army More true stories than talking heads or tall buildings Under a spell of modernity burning us all with their feet against caviar They live invisibly written on every billboard and wall All in all, yeah my home is Simpson sleeping at nuclear power plants While toxic sludge covers every inch of our devastated land Not sure about that, our species looked up to false prophets like mountains staring at the sky But if we smash by inevitable avalanches I'll stay fly As visible planets watching the unforgivable antics of batches Political savages strangling the masses to death What the fuck you got left? Right and left, it's a reactionary mess. So I left, probably for the best. I see clearly now, this world is cloudy. I get rowdy, like Roddy Piper and Captain Howdy. Read about me, I'm not like them other guys. Them cats are caterpillars, I'm butterfly. I see clearly now, this world is cloudy. I get rowdy, like Roddy Piper and Captain Howdy. Read about me, I'm not like them other guys. Them cats are caterpillars, I'm butterfly. I'm